Welcome to the Racking Focus Podcast mini-episode. I'm John Doyle. You're listening to the Racking Focus Podcast. During this season of quarantine and shelter-in-place, Josiah and I are going to be doing independent reviews, some mini-episodes about a variety of films we've both been watching to try and fill the gap and give you something to listen to uh, and maybe some suggestions of things to watch while you uh, are home or potentially sheltered at home for whatever period of time this is going to last. So today I'm going to talk about one of my favorite films, uh, or at least a film that was a favorite of my father that I enjoyed as a kid, and it's called Uptown Saturday Night. Uh, It's a surprising film, I guess, for me to throw onto this uh, list. It's older. You can see it uh, right now on Criterion, but there's other places you can sort of root up and find the film. It's directed by Sidney Poitier and stars Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby. I know there might be some controversy about the Bill Cosby inclusion in this, but I'm going to talk about the film anyway. There's some really interesting stuff worth having a conversation about. Uptown Saturday Night is a working class story of two black men, one a taxi driver, the other a steel worker, who end up embroiled in a uh, gangland environment trying to recover a lost wallet that has a $50,000 lottery ticket in it, which was stolen from them while they were sneaking out of the house away from their wives at a hot spot called Madame Zenobia's. The story is fun, although the pace can be slow sometimes. The movie is chock full of interesting actors doing interesting work. Portier has a large ensemble cast, and as a result, we get to see Calvin Lockhart, Harry Belafonte, and Flip Wilson. Richard Pryor uh, is in there. Paula Kelly does some great work. Roscoe Lee Ground makes an appearance. I mean, over and over, we just see person and person and person from sort of black cinema of the time. But what's interesting about this movie is how it takes the uh, genre of black exploitation cinema that's existing around it, and it uh, turns many of the the riffs, many of the motifs, many of the tropes of the cinema on its head. It, it, and there's a lot to look at here. And aside from it being sort of a fun and entertaining film. It is also um, engaging from a filmmaking standpoint about a director taking some real choices to deal with his culture and his community as opposed to letting the large-scale industrial commercial complex of cinema push him to make films that are exploitive in some way. That doesn't mean that the characters in here aren't reminiscent of exploited characters uh, or characters from other uh, films. He's just flipping everything on its side. So let me just dig in and talk about this for a little bit talk about some of the stuff that I like about uh, the film and uh, we'll go from there. Um, And if you watch it and you enjoy it, it has a sequel called uh, Let's Do It Again where many of the same actors are playing different characters uh, and that film also uh, has the original use of the name Biggie Smalls which you may know from the world of rap and hip hop but that character actually exists in Let's Do It Again first. But Uptown Saturday Night is uh, tons of fun I'm going to just spend some time, though, talking about these trope violations. So the first and foremost is that the main characters of this film are not some super-duper, you know, superfly-style, stylish, dynamic, strong, uh, empowered black men. They are family men, one more henpecked than the other. We see long scenes of them in their homes, 
uh, or at least Sidney Poitier's character in his home having uh, a meal with his wife where they talk about real simple relationary connections. There's no sense that these are not humans and they're not white humans. The the place certainly doesn't, doesn't whitewash these characters in any way. But we see them as regular people, not as the uh, stereotypes that have been pushed out by much of the black exploitation cinema that was happening around it. Poitier is a steel worker. He's got a two-week vacation, and during this time, uh, his buddy, uh, played by Bill Cosby, uh, Wendell uh, Franklin, decides that he's going to convince uh, Poitier's character, Steve Jackson, to go to this uptown club called Madame Zenobia's and they fake their way into the club to create sort of the shenanigans of the film and they head their way up and while they're there the club is busted by a group of criminals all dressed entirely in black and the stuff is stolen and from that point on we watch Portier and Cosby attempt to regain this lost material and they encounter people in the world of black cinema. So they go and they meet Richard Pryor, who's a private detective, but he's not Shaft. He's not Superfly. He's not okay. He's a con man. He is uh, playing on their naivete and their trust. He steals their money and the system, even after he is caught, doesn't get the money back to them. Just says, get in line. People are robbing from you. Like the idea in some ways that Poitier is saying is this movement in cinema to create these sort of larger than life and yet extraordinarily exploited black characters may be robbing from the uh, population, the regular man's population, everyone standing in line watching these movies. And in a way, they're not discovering or embracing their own culture. They're embracing a culture that's being foisted on them by this exploitation nature. Every cop car that shows up in this movie has a black and white officer in it, not uh, just white officers. And in almost every case, the black officer is in charge. In fact, there's a black detective that rides us through the end of the story, um, wonderfully played, and uh, he orders the white uh, detectives around and they do their job. There is a real sense that this is a, a, a world where black people are empowered, not by virtue of some ability to you know, do karate or to be hypersexualized or to be uh, violent or an, an outsider or super cool, right? It is not, these are not badass people. Um, we're watching normal folks struggling to survive in this world and the police in the same way fall into that category. Now we do get a quote of by any means necessary at some point. So I'm also not saying that this movie is ignoring uh, the, the, the black culture of the time that is more revolutionary. It's just trying to show us that there are opportunities for uh, black characters and black men in films to be normal folk, regular characters, and that they can have power. We meet a series of gangsters in this film, and uh, they are a variety of different sort of, uh, I guess they're funny in a variety of ways. Um, I want to start by saying Harry Harry Belafonte does an extraordinarily entertaining job as Geechee Dan Buford. Uh, He plays uh, the comedy really well. He is making a full-blown mockery of The Godfather and that world of uh, Godfather-esque gangster-ism. And then we have Silky Slim, played by Calvin Lockhart, whose voice is so rich and beautiful. Um, And he plays the younger, tougher 
gangster, and he will appear again in the sequel as a different character, as the Biggie Smalls character. And then there's another uh, gangster called Little Seymour, who's this little tiny black karate guy um, who's backed up by uh, uh, his big cohort, whose name I can't remember right this moment. The, the idea is this, that we see these gangsters, but they are played for humor. Belafonte ends, by the end of the piece, although he's holding a gun at Bill Cosby's groin, he is dressed as a woman running in heels away from the cops. We see uh, Silky Slim uh, enjoying dancing in uh, the church picnic where the big final set piece of the movie takes place. These are people who are human. They're not extraordinary, super cool gangsters. And by flipping that on its head and by allowing the honest, um, when I say honest, I'll say earnest, the earnestness of our two lead characters to drive them through this world and keep them safe. As we see humor constantly played out in the contrast between the ineffectiveness of our two leads in this world that is not the super stylized world of black exploitation cinema, we really get a great look at a, a director saying uh, black culture is more than what people are seeing on the screen at this point. And that doesn't belittle those other films. It just says this is taking us in a very, very different direction. So as we see the, the we, uh, Roscoe Lee Brown plays a politician who um, is sucking up to the white world. There's a picture of Richard Nixon on his wall that he flips over to Malcolm X and throws on a dashiki uh, in order to meet with his constituents who are just, again, regular folks who aren't looking for that dashiki working um folks but he you know Roscoe Lee Brown's character could be um, played as corrupt right as a corrupting factor in the world but he's just misguided and uh, you know Leggy Peggy uh, who's his wife who um, is played by Paula Kelly she comes in and just tears the ground out from underneath Roscoe Lee Brown's um, character it just it's spectacular to watch the effort made not to belittle that character, but just to lay him out in truth and to recall how language is reframed by black politicians or the black politicians of cinema um, to avoid the truth that is on the streets. And yet that street language is not vilely presented and it's not full of vulgarity. It's just full of honest integrity. The love relationships in this film are adorable and sweet, although of their time. There certainly is some uh, sexualization of women that may make us uncomfortable today, especially in reference to Bill Cosby as he wanders through Zenobia's checking out the, the ladies he passes. But um, all of these tropes and all of these stereotypes flipped on his head by uh, a, a really clever script and more than anything else, um, extraordinarily solid direction by Poitier. But it, one of the great moments you can see Poitier's work as a, a, a designer of film is as we enter Zenobia's through up till, till that point in the film, we've seen almost every camera locked down. The cameras are on tripods or on sticks in some way, somewhere. But as we enter Zenobia's and they actually are permitted into this, this haven of sort of black uptown superfly culture, the camera turns into almost POV. I mean, the camera is loose and being handheld and we're, we're shifting around as our eyes are the eyes of our two characters catching things in the side view, moving past things, trying not to stare and yet still staring. The camera guides us through that process. And um, there's something really wonderful about that 
that use of camera and it happens over and over again in the film where camera is cleverly used in what must have been an extraordinarily small tight budget the other thing i want to mention about this film that's really charming and wonderful is that the background characters are just people they're folks in church and they are they're church folk the choir is a church choir there's characters at a picnic they're having fun there's tons of extras in this film and those extras are not extras who are um great actors or people looking i i don't know whether they're looking for jobs but certainly people who aren't in the foreground they're just normal folks they're and they are charming and beautiful and entertaining and warm and we're engaged with them throughout the process. It feels like a real world, even in its madcap comedic nature. Flip Wilson plays a preacher and if we think about car wash and, and the corrupting nature of the preacher in uh, Richard Pryor's Preacher in Car Wash, here we see this really funny, entertaining uh, preacher playing into some of the stereotypes of culture. Um, Wilson is doing his stand-up uh, attitude. He's fun and funny, certainly of his time period, um, and it becomes a centerpiece of what that is like, what it what it means to see the basket pass and to put money into the basket. I love the sequences where Geechee Dan and Silky Slim are in the church and watching them um you know, engaging in the humor of the church. They're not so jaded and evil and cruel that they can't um, uh, enjoy the preacher's message, enjoy Flip Wilson's entertaining message. But on, on the other end of that, they are still extraordinarily dangerous. And our main characters are in danger anytime they enter whatever bar they may be, even though that bar may be the same set over and over again. You know, there's background characters, there's streets that obviously have just been cleared to shoot a scene and we're moving on, they're finding their way around a difficult budget. But above all else, this is a film about regular folks. Unlike some of the other films that I like of this period where we see real political or economic questions being asked within the comedy or entertainment where we see big giant social issues this film is about culture um, in many ways the end of the film which has a curtain call without names for all of the main characters each one gets their face tossed up on the screen for a moment that curtain call reminds me of the curtain calls we'd have at the sort of black culture theater that was taking place in the same period that my father and mother would go to with uh, my dad's best friend and his family. Um, you know, these, these uh, big pieces of theater with big stars uh, putting on primarily comedic plays. Um, we get to see that same sort of curtain call, see their faces on the screen. We're going to let these black actors shine as opposed to be overwhelmed by action or violence or stunts or stereotypes or anything like that. So I just can't applaud Poitier enough. It's a fun movie to watch. It's sequel, although messier in a lot of ways, is a ton of fun and, and has some great characters and hopefully I'll be able to review that in the future. I hope this was enlightening and entertaining uh, as a little review of... Uh, Uptown Saturday Night, I hope that you will take the time to sort of check it out and enjoy the film. Um, it is uh, a 1974 release, and uh, Poitier really does do his job of creating a real cultural landscape uh, and a snapshot in time 
for us to look at, and it is a wonderful contrast to some of the other more exploitive, although wildly entertaining, uh, black films of the same period. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, this is John Doyle with the Racking Focus podcast. You can find out more about what we're doing and how we're going to work our way past the time of no movie theaters open at uh, rackingfocuspodcast.com. You can uh, email us. Uh, you can uh, find, us, find us on Twitter at podfocus. You can find us on Instagram at rackingfocuspodcast. Please engage with us on all of those sites. Let us know what movies you're watching, what movies we can uh, talk about or watch to uh, during this uh, strange, uh, isolated time period. Well, we love doing this kind of work, and it's a real pleasure. So again, John Doyle for Josiah Blizzard. Uh, I hope you guys are safe and sound and secure, and we'll be back next time on the Racking Focus Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Racking Focus Podcast.